the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. We're delighted to have you with us. And Carol, as many of you know, is a nationally known gerontologist, chairman of the board of the National Council on Aging, and executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. And we spend every week talking about and trying to bring information to caregivers here and across the country. And in just a couple of moments, if you're a caregiver for someone with dementia, have we got a great guest coming up. Well, it, it, I'm so pleased that we're welcoming uh, Jim Vandenbosch back to our show, um, who actually spent time living in a dementia unit. And we'll talk with him about that he, uh, in, a, in a unit somewhere in the Chicago area. Right. And I should mention that he does documentaries and um, has. we'll talk about our, his work with our WellMed Charitable Foundation. Uh, there aren't that many people that are interested in making documentaries about aging, caregiving, uh, topics uh, around the elderly. So this is a, a, they have a wonderful body of work. So we'll talk with him about that, and the uh, the firm is Terra Nova Films. So we'll talk with him in just a few minutes. First up, great news if you saw Jurassic Park, and if you, like me, would love to see up close and personal a true woolly mammoth. Are they coming back? I know. This has absolutely nothing to do with caregiving whatsoever. But as you know, we were looking at the news, I think both of us saw this article, where they have put a woolly mammoth DNA into elephant cells. There you which are. Which all of a sudden, shades of Jurassic Park, I'm picturing yeah. woolly mammoths running rampant through our neighborhoods. Exactly. Eating our trees and crushing, you know, small children. And automobiles. <laughs> Something like that. How close are they? Well, actually, um, not that close. Oh. But they are. It uh. is true that scientists really are putting woolly mammoth DNA into testing its compatibility with elephant cells. And the reason they're wanting to do this, because why would anybody do this if they did see Jurassic Park, is they want to see if elephants can live in colder climates where they would be more protected from man. So putting a little woolly mammoth into the elephant, um, see if they can protect them. And then if that works, they want to try to bring back a, a full woolly mammoth, which I'm still not sure is a good idea. But wow. I mean, that's pretty That's pretty. Fast forward. Sit, Woolly Mammoth. Sit. I know. I know. I don't so know. If you see one, it's you know where it came from. Exactly. It was, it's scientific. And you heard it here first. So lots of folks uh, pop Tylenol and other pain relievers, and it turns out there may be uh, some limits to how much Tylenol will do for you. Well, this one was almost as surprising as the Woolly Mammoth story because, <laughs> I mean, let's face it, every one of us has been told back pain, arthritis pain, take Tylenol. Right. And doctor recommended. Doctor recommended. And so there was a huge, huge study. Uh, and what they found out is that Tylenol is about as effective for back pain and arthritis pain as a placebo. Wow. Which that placebo is one of those things that's not medicine. It's like a sugar pill that doesn't do anything. And if you think it works, it works. And Tylenol is that effective. So if you think it's working, it's working. It's working. So apparently the Tylenol research dates back to 2007, huh. where uh, there wasn't as much evidence on its efficacy, how well it worked. And what they're finding now is that, um, you know, it's just not that effective over the long run. Um, there may be some downsides. So, you know, people take acetaminophen, which is a Tylenol. Um, you might take Advil, the ibuprofen. Uh, you may take aspirin. Just know that all of those have side effects. Right. All of those have pluses and minuses. Uh, and you might want to check with your doctor to see if uh, if you've taken some of those for pain relief, they're not working, or if your loved one you're caring for is taking them and they're not working, they may really not be working. And despite what I, of course, have always believed, 
Uh, if two is recommended, take four. Yeah, take 20. Yeah, don't do that. Because there's no problem with that. Do not do that. Do not do that. Yeah, don't increase the dosage. Um, just know that the research is, is always changing. Eggs are good for you. Eggs are bad for you. Eggs are good for you. Tylenol works. Tylenol doesn't work. There Today's the uh, day eggs are good, though. Today, eggs are good. And so Tylenol is bad. <laughs> now, we're going to be talking with Jim Van Bossen in, in just a couple of moments about films that his firm, Terra Nova Films, make. Uh, especially with a focus on dementia, and you came across something that uh, can be worrisome for a whole lot of folks. It turns out that uh, seniors and others who are underweight uh, run a greater risk of developing dementia. This was kind of startling. And scary. Well, it was, because it shows that if uh, if you're underweight with a BMI of 20 or less, or less than 20, um, that there is an increased risk of dementia in later life. And even if you were to gain weight, the risk of getting dementia is still elevated a number of years after you get your weight up. For those people who have a higher BMI, which most of the time we associate with bad things, so if you're overweight and you have a BMI that's not that great, you actually have a lower risk of dementia. How weird is that? I've been trying so hard to get my BMI below 25. Now I don't want to do that. Well, you know, there are there are other obviously <laughs> other risk factors associated with being overweight, but if you look at it strictly in terms of dementia, and they don't know why, um, but the intriguing thing I think in the article is that if they can determine why being underweight is an increased risk factor, what is it about being underweight? How does that change your body chemistry versus being overweight? Then that might lead to more effective treatments. But for those people like in my family with a bunch of small people who tend to be underweight. I have several people in my family um, that are underweight. Uh, This is kind of startling news, too. It's right up. I'm telling you, today it's all shocking news. Woolly mammoths, underweight is bad. Tylenol Tylenol, doesn't work. Tylenol doesn't work. Wow. And we're going to spend time in a dementia unit where uh, Jim Vandenbossen spent time trying to see what that was like. So we've got a whole lot of neat stuff coming your way today. If you just joined us, by the way, you're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. Brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Uh, and, uh, you know, a whole lot of people love cruising. And you see TV ads all the time. The one thing you do on a cruise, you eat your little heart out. So uh, if you binge for uh, a holiday period or you binge on a cruise, uh, is it really going to hurt you or do you just brush that off? Well, unfortunately, another new study that shows that those little short periods of binge eating actually change our metabolism much faster than we think. Wow. So, you you know, if you think, oh, it's just, you know, vacation, apparently five days of really high fatty food. They did a study where they took perfectly healthy college students. They gave them the same amount of calories, but one group had really high fat food and the other one didn't. And it was already impacting their muscles. So when you binge eat and you have a lot of high fat, you have to process all of that extra sugar uh, that go, that's in that fat content, and it uh, affects your metabolism, and your muscles already begin to change after only five days. So the moral of the story is take a three-day Caribbean cruise, <laughs> exactly, not the seven, ten, two-week, or round-the-world cruise, and keep those holidays short. Wow. Yeah. And, and of course, if you keep eating those foods, you, you run the risk of gout. Yes, and that was in one of our other studies. So everything leads to keep exercising, everything in moderation, and don't make extinct animals come back too quickly without lots of research. Especially woolly mammoths. (laughs) And and raptors. So we've got some neat shows coming up on caregiver teleconnection, and I was going through the list uh, that, uh, that I had a chance to see, and keeping with the theme of dementia, coming up on Tuesday, May 26th, uh, Tam Cummings, a gerontologist, will be talking about dementia and the brain. Oh, and Tam is a wonderful presenter, and I know those are far in the future. So um, we have a whole new calendar that's out for May uh, where we'll be talking about Parkinson's one week, uh, managing your medications another week, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, you know, if you're dealing with someone who has COPD, and dementia with Tam Cummings. So go to our caregiversos.org website. Check out any of the sessions left in April. Check out the new calendar for May. Um, and those are free telephone 
education sessions where we have experts that are going to give you really good information. And you'll also get a chance to ask questions. You can talk to other caregivers. It's a wonderful experience. Um, so the Caregiver Teleconnection, the whole calendar on caregiversos.org. And we know coming up on May 2nd is the uh, WellMed Charitable Foundation Walk Run for Seniors. That's right. If you're in the San Antonio area you can you want to walk, run, and get that exercise we were just talking about, um, we will be out and about in the Wheatley Heights Sports Complex. It's a brand-new, beautiful sports complex uh, where we'll be raising money to help you, the caregivers, and you, the seniors, uh, and you can help do something good for someone else. I had a funny question from a senior. Seniors walk, run for free. They don't have to pay. They do not. And we have a neat category you can uh, uh, sleep in pays your money, you get a blanket, and you've supported the program, and you don't have to walk and run. No, you're a sleepwalker. So a senior I ran into the other day knew about the walk-run and said, well, look, uh, if I don't go to the event, I'm a senior, I could do that for free. Can I get that blanket for free and be a sleepwalker? <laughs> oh, wow. These yeah. are the ethical dilemmas that those of us in the business must wrestle right. with right. every day. I made a snap decision. I said no. What we would I said you need to pay your twenty-five bucks. Yeah, that yeah, for the seniors to come and walk, you know, we we pick up all the fees for that. Right. Um, all the people on the planet who are sleeping in that morning will probably not receive blankets. Probably for not sleepwalking. And kids ten and under come and walk and oh, and you for can free. and you bring and you can bring your pets. Dogs are welcome. Dogs are welcome. Cats on a leash. All in the family. Yeah. Okay. Cats on a leash. <laughs> Why not? Right. <laughs> not saying a word. So that event is coming up on May 2nd, and the money raised, as you said, goes to support seniors in our community. Uh, I want to touch on something. We had talked about knocking down Tylenol a moment ago, uh, and there's been a debate ongoing on the efficacy of fish oil. Well, I think that's that's the last thing we have on our list today was fish oil. All of us have been also told, hey, fish oil is good for you. Guess what? The research shows, and this is big research. I mean, we're talking... Lots and lots and lots of people from 2005 to 2012, two dozen studies. And fish oil is actually, for heart disease, is actually not very effective. All of the statins and the different medications we have since that report came out have improved so much. Fish oil may be good to help prevent Alzheimer's. It may have some other benefits. It may be a waste of money. Wow. So... Put that on the list of things you may not have to buy. Uh, fish oil, not that effective for heart-related illnesses. And also, like, if you take Coumadin, which is a blood thinner, right? and you take fish oil, it does the same thing as Coumadin. It's a blood thinner. So if you're taking Coumadin and fish oil, uh, this, this article, this is a report out of the New York Times, says, eh, that may be a little bit much. That blood so, will leak out your fingers. So what's the bottom line? Talk to your physician before you take anything over the counter, any of these medications or supplements. They're just as important as your prescription medication. And we have the answer to everything anyhow, exercise. Exercise. Forget the fish oil, exercise. Absolutely. Just a couple of moments, we're going to take a look at an amazing topic and a great company, Terra Nova Films. We're going to tell you about an event coming up on May 17th, across our communities, Jim Vandenbosch from Terra Nova Films will join us, and we'll talk about the time he spent recently voluntarily in a dementia unit uh, in an assisted living facility. All that and more coming up on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You hear us on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. And I'm Carol Zerniel. You know, Carol, the experts agree exercise is critical to our health and wellness, and that's especially true if you or someone you know is a senior. So in the spirit of doing what's good for us, please join us at the 2015 Run for Seniors, sponsored by the WellMet Charitable Foundation. And our honorary chair this year, Bear County's newly elected District Attorney, Nico LaHood. The race kicks off at 8 a.m. Saturday, May 2nd at the Whitley Heights Sports Complex. Registration, just $25 per person if registering online through April 30th at wellmetgives.org, $30 on race day. And we have a special deal if you don't like getting up in the morning. You can be a sleepwalker for $25 registration and stay at home while still supporting our seniors. Seniors 60 and over and children 10 and under run or walk for free. All the money raised will support seniors in need. So join us at 8 a.m. Saturday, May 2nd at Wheatley Heights Sports Complex. And for registration information, go to wellmedgives.org. That's wellmedgives.org. And we'll see you at the run.
I ran into our DA, Nicola Hood, at an event the other night, and we talked about the walk run. He's looking forward to it. I, we're looking forward to having him. It should him. be fun. Yes. should be fun. I'm Ron Aaron. She's Carol Zerniel. This is Caregiver SOS On Air. You hear us at 9.30 a.m. The Answer. We're brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. And a special treat joining us now in our Caregiver SOS hotline is Jim Vandenbosch with Terra Nova Films. He's the executive director there, does a whole lot of stuff, founder as well, uh, doing films that deal with aging issues, including issues involving dementia. And, Jim, we want to welcome you aboard, and thanks for coming back. You're welcome. You're an exclusive group. We don't often have our guests back again. <laughs> so thank you. We appreciate yeah, it. Especially those that do, you know, video. <laughs> On a radio show. <laughs> On a radio show. It's right. kind of a, it's a tough topic. So uh, why don't we jump right in? You, you indicated that as part of your research, trying to really get a handle on and understand dementia and people with dementia, uh, as in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, you actually spent a week in a dementia unit somewhere near Chicago. Yes, that's right. Um, it, it suddenly dawned on me that since I'm talking about this a lot, presenting about it a lot at conferences and, and I'll trying to make videos uh, about it, that it would be good for me to actually experience uh, firsthand what it is like to be in a dementia unit. What is it you hope to learn? Well, primarily, it, I wasn't there so much to, you know, Eye on staff and, and see how things were going, although that was kind of a byproduct. But I wanted to go there just to live next to people who were experiencing dementia. Uh, because unless you have someone in your family, unless you are a caregiver, um, and even then, I, th I think your perspective on that may be skewed a little bit. So I wanted to just be there and participate in whatever was going on and basically do a lot of observing, listening uh, to what life was like for people who were experiencing dementia in a dementia care unit. Did the staff know that uh, you were a pretender? Well, that's, that was an interesting question. When I approached the administration of this facility about this idea, they were very open to it. Uh, the question was, particularly on my part, do I go in and try to act as if I am living with uh, a dementia condition, or do I go in and say, you know, I'm just an observer here? And we went back and forth, and we finally decided that if I really, truly wanted to experience what it's like and not be treated any differently by staff, then we should find a way to have me come in as a dementia um, resident. Wow. Probably wasn't hard. You're a filmmaker. You're creative. Well, well, I was just thinking, but that requires like, and that acting is totally different than being on the other side of the camera. Yes, and you know, I am the first to admit that I am I am not comfortable as an actor. So I was a little bit concerned about how this was going to go. But the scenario that we finally put together is that I was coming in under what's called a respite condition. Um, we told everyone that I lived with my sister, um, that I was divorced, uh, which is not true. I'm not divorced, but we had not to create yet, a anyhow. scenario where I lived with my sister, and she was called out of town and needed a place for me to go temporarily ah. just to be watched over, basically. That's a good cover. And the scenario was that I did not have severe dementia. I had mild uh, dementia. So it wasn't a big thing for me to pull off. I basically just kind of retreated inwardly spoke with some hesitation and you know said that I couldn't remember a lot of things so and everybody everybody went along I mean they didn't go along with it they, they did not know um, so nobody was nobody said hey you understand more than I thought you did there was actually one nurse who began I think to to come to that conclusion and toward the end of the experiment we actually had to bring her into um, what was going on, and she agreed to keep silent. So, but most of the staff um, did not know. But wow. was she angry about it, or was she like, no, "Oh, that no, explains it"? No, because I think it. she understood what it was that I was wanting to do, and uh, she was perfectly fine with it. How did you smuggle a note out saying we need to bring her in on this? Actually, it happened uh, when I wanted to go home because we had prearranged the time that I was going to be there. 
And I wanted to be there over a weekend because I was told that things often are different uh, during the weekend than they are during the day, during the uh, week. Different staff? And, yeah, different staff, uh, just a different kind of atmosphere going on. And, so, and um, but once I had experienced Saturday, I was kind of eager to get out of there. So I called the, <laughs> uh, the unit director and I said, is there any way that I could leave on Sunday instead of Monday, and she said, sure, we just need to figure out a way to get you out. I do want to call my sister. My sister actually was involved in the admission process, but it was a fair drive for her to, to do that. I didn't want to call her back. Right. So we we found another way to do it, but there were some glitches along the way, and the, the social services personnel said, we can't release you to this person because this person didn't admit you. Ooh, you got hung up on the rules. <laughs> the rules. Yes. <laughs> But eventually we we worked it out, and it was during that time that actually we had to tell the nurse because the nurse that suspected things then suspected things even more. So it was toward the end of the stay that that we brought her in on it. So what happened on Saturday that made you run from the facility? Nothing. um, I was expecting to, you know, see a lot of things different on the weekend, and there were some things that were different, but not that much. And by that time I had been there for four days and four nights, and I was I was ready to go home. So so, so um, no, it's a locked. Really it was a locked unit, right? That. What, yeah, Ram was saying, is it is, was it a locked unit? I mean, you you no no yes, way in or was. out um, without permission. I could not have a cell phone because, interestingly enough, even though this this facility is striving to be what is called a person-centered care facility, meeting the individual needs, treating people as individuals. What they found is when they let people have their cell phones, they were actually calling 911, some of them, not all of them, and you know, saying that they were being held here against their will. And you know, when, when the emergency people get a 911 call, they have to respond. So this was costing the facility. So in lieu of trying to figure out anything else, in the meantime, they just do not allow cell phones. So I could not come in with my cell phone. Well, we'll talk about what was the biggest surprise when you got into the facility. Uh, to go back just a minute to, to answer your other question, I was in a locked facility. I had an arm bracelet on, which I knew if I went out would, would trigger an alarm. So that that gave me the whole sense of being very confined. Yeah, like being in prison. Exactly. Really? Uh, part of my, my personal care plan was that I liked to, to walk outside, so at least I got, even though it was very cold outside, Someone did take me for a walk, uh, a 10-minute walk outside, which was pure pleasure for me. But the rest of the time, I was in this facility and could not really move very far except down one hallway or another. That was that was the extent of it. Did you strike oh, out? No, go back to your other question, Carol. Yeah, what was the big surprise? Um, two, two big takeaways for me. Um, the first one is that it, it dawned on me that people had not much to do. So there was no sense, even though these were people living with dementia, there was no, other than bingo and an occasional card game, there was not much else going on to occupy them during the day or to give them a sense of their own individual identity. They were there, basically had nothing to do. And this is one of my bigger criticisms of the way we have structured long-term care in our country. We, we put people there, and then we debilitate them further by doing everything for them. We don't involve them in, I'm not saying that this is in every facility, but it's, I think, a predominant kind of way that we carry out long-term care because it's based on the old hospital medical model where when you go into a hospital, people do things for you. So we have that same model when we go into a long-term care facility, people do things for you. And what that does is bring in, Carol, I'm sure you're familiar with this term, learned helplessness. Right. So the more that you do something for someone else, even though they could do that for themselves, the more they learn to become dependent. Well, And, and this I'm convinced that this is also true for people who are living with dementia. Well, and it's actually worse for people living with dementia because they, other people can relearn things. You can pick it back up again if you don't have dementia. But once it's gone from a dementia person, a person suffering with dementia, it's gone forever. 
Yeah, I, I, I have read some studies lately that people with dementia can can still learn, and I think that that would be an interesting interesting research. Well, yeah, and I think learning is different though than it's the you know if they were tying a shoe, getting dressed, those kinds of activities of daily living. Yeah. You know, I think that there's some things that people can learn, but I think those complicated tasks are very hard to get back. Yeah, perhaps. Turns out tying a shoe is complicated. I, I've got a three-year-old, and we're trying to figure out how to teach her to tie shoes, and she she's close, but not quite there yet. Oh, I remember practicing that. Right. Yeah, you had to practice. So before we jump out for a little news at our end, I, I want to get a, a sense of uh, your connection with some of the residents who are in that unit. Did you make any friendships? Were you able to connect with folks? Yeah, I didn't feel like it was my place to, and, and I'm not by nature a very extroverted person, so it was it was difficult for me to, to be in this unit not sure if people were going to be able to respond to me in a, in a verbal way. Right. So I took my cues from them, and if they made a connection with me, I, I followed that up, and, and we act, and I actually did make some connection with them. With All right, them. stick with us. We'll be right back with you. This is fascinating, talking with Jim Vanden Bosch of Terra Nova Films, who spent four days in a uh, dementia unit in a uh, facility somewhere uh, near Chicago. We're going to talk to you about the films that he's been involved in, and a special event coming up May 17th, connected to the WellMed Charitable Foundation. All that and more coming your way on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. We're on 930 AM, The Answer. Thank you so much for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Uh, We're talking with Jim Vandenbosch, who is the executive director and founder of Terra Nova Films. Uh, among other things, they make films that deal with aging, with dementia, and issues like that. And he's been regaling us with stories about four days he spent in a dementia unit. So, so Jim, you, before the break, said there were two takeaways. You told us one. What yes. was the second one? The second takeaway didn't dawn on me until about the second day that I was there. But I, I had a sense that, you know, this kind of, atmosphere of of people not doing anything and and when i say that i don't mean activities as we normally think of them like bingo or uh, activities brought in Um, music can be really good i'm not discounting that as an activity and i think part of the reason that there was not much going on is i think the person who was in charge of music was out ill while i was there but more what i'm talking about is Things that people can still do more like the activities of daily living, helping set the table, helping clear the table, washing dishes perhaps, even being involved in the cooking if they can, making their own bed, um, things like that, which we all you know, know how to do, and, and people with, with dementia, I think, retain those things longer than we think. All of those are kind of stripped away, and everybody does that for you. So you have no sense of purpose in regard to your own life anymore, other than sitting or walking or eating or sleeping. Well, you know, I, I think that you make a very good point, and I can feel sadness, you know, thinking about how awful the disease is, and then, you know, the people that do need to go to a facility oftentimes with behavioral problems, because it's not one-on-one, because there's not a one-on-one ratio of staff to residents, to have them you know, practice things and and be able to work with them. A few weeks ago, we had someone on the show who had was a physical therapist who had developed a whole list of activities that she had done with her mother who had dementia. And as her mother digressed and the dementia got worse, she modified those activities to their simplest form so that her, she, her goal was really to have her mother engaged in something, you know, all, every day mm-hmm. that she got to practice something. And I I'm thinking yeah. how useful that sort of a philosophy would be uh, in that unit where you were living. Yeah. So the second thing that I experienced relates directly to this, and that is that after I was there a couple of days, it dawned on me that the tone of voice that most of the staff were using and the way they were addressing the um, persons who were living there 
was what sometimes is called elder speak or what I would prefer to call baby speak. Yeah, infantile. It's that high tone of voice. It's that kind of endearing, uh, aren't you cute kind of thing that we use when we talk to babies, literally. Give us an example of how they would use that in the facility. Well, there was one staff person that I, at first when I heard this, and I have to say at the same time that this is, there's, I'm, I'm not being overly critical here because I think no, what, no, this is very what that demonstrates is a real caring and love that the, that the staff have for the residents. It's just misguided in that we don't know the effect that that has on people when you speak to them that way. But I'll give you an example. Somebody was sitting next to an older woman who was in a wheelchair, and she was talking about her birthday coming up and her family was coming. And she was using this high-toned pitch as if she were talking to a two-year-old. And at the end of the near the end of the conversation, she said, you are just as cute as a button. And, you know, it didn't dawn on me until a couple of days later that if someone were to say that to me or to you, you know, we would maybe find it humorous, but we'd be annoyed as heck. Doesn't ring true. <laughs> you know. It's as if you're talking to a child. Right. Right. So here's what I determined: is that that very tone of voice, even for someone who doesn't have their cognitive abilities, people still with dementia have a strong intuitive sense, I think, and a strong emotive sense. And when you're talked to that way. Even though you can't cognitively realize it, I think what happens is that you are further reduced to this helpless state of being an infant. So it all kind of goes hand in hand. Right. And and I think you've really hit it right on the nose when you say this is done with good intentions. Uh, and one of the things we talk about in the aging field often is that we, caring for the elderly, care for people, whereas in the disabilities community, it's all about empowering people and building yep. on their strengths, and that exactly. is the one, that's the one lesson we still need to learn, yep. and we still need to incorporate, which I'm sure is a huge reason why persons with disabilities, with profound disabilities, do not want to live in a facility, is mm-hmm. exactly what exactly. you just described. Yeah, the words that we use, the language we use, is so important. And when I go out and present about this, I always make that point. And I refuse to use the word caregiver anymore because I think it it feeds right into that notion of taking care of someone rather than being a, a partner in assisting them only with what they cannot do. There's a huge difference. So what term do you use? We've been playing with this for a long time. I prefer to use assistant think that it, that word gets more at the kind of, I will do for you what you need help doing, rather than I will come in and care for you. Would that apply to a family member as well? Absolutely. Yep. So I'm wondering if a spouse or a daughter would see themselves as an assistant. Well, I think already a lot of family members do not see themselves as caregivers. They don't self-identify. No. That's true. No, no, no. They see themselves yeah. as the spouse or the daughter. Right, right. Interesting. So maybe it's not a big, as big an issue in a family setting as it is in an institutional setting because right. already when you go into an institution, hmm. then the whole procedure and protocol is institutionalized. Right. And it's depersonalized. Right. You well, just joined us. You know, kind of feeds and it's not a staff person feeds into that by having a specific role, doing a specific job for you know, specific people. If you've just joined us, he's Jim Vandenbosch of Terra Nova Films. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Jim is the founder and executive director of Terra Nova Films, uh, and they produced a number of award-winning films on a number of aging-related issues, which, as Carol pointed out at the top of the hour, not a lot of people are doing. So, so tell us, how did how, what was the the first film that you did, or how did you get interested in doing documentaries on this to- on these topics? Well, that's that's a long time ago. But um, when I'm asked that question, I usually say I kind of came into it by accident, which I think happens to a lot of us when we look back on our on our lives, uh, the major things that happened. When I got out of film school back in the mid '70s, um, moved to Chicago. There was a story in Chicago Magazine about um, disadvantaged 
children and older adults living in Chicago, in other words, the impoverished and, and the programs that were being uh, developed to help them. And one of those programs was, back then it was called Friendly Visitors. Carol, I don't know if yes, you uh, remember that. I, they still have Friendly Visitor programs today. Yeah, okay. So I decided, and I don't know why I focused on the, the older adults uh, rather than the children. There must have been something there. But I decided this would make a good film, and I partnered with uh, a couple of other people. We got funding from the Illinois Humanities Council, and we actually went out and made a film about people visiting older adults in their homes who were disabled and needed a lot of assistance. What I found in making that film was that the people that were older adults and disabled were giving as much back to the visitors as the other way around. So it completely changed my whole outlook about, again, what we just talked about, doing something for someone else. It, it was actually a, a partnership. There was a, it was a two-way street, as one of the volunteers said. So that changed my whole outlook, and I thought, wow, there's many, many more films to be made about in relation to um, aging, and that's sort of how it all started. Well, so you've made many films, and we talked about you've, you've received awards. You actually have were awarded an Emmy for the film that the Wellmet Charitable Foundation is going to be showing uh, May 17th in San Antonio, Corpus Christi, and the lower Rio Grande Valley, and it's in Spanish. Yes. So talk a little bit about that film. Well, that's a film that my colleague actually did, so I cannot take credit for the Emmy. Um, my colleague at Terranova, um, uh, a, by the name of Ed Maneker, actually conceived of this idea, uh, pulled together what is sometimes called a town hall format. We filmed it here at the local uh, PBS station, and we got both uh, professionals uh, who were knowledgeable about dementia and a particular uh, family caregiver who had been in one of the other films that we had done. We pulled them all together and we got a small audience together and then we just had them sit down and talk about issues related to, as a family member, caring for somebody who was struggling with, with dementia. So we had audience participation, we had a caregiver speaking, we had professional speaking, turned it into an hour-long program and that's the program that uh, won the Emmy and is now uh, going to be released on several PBS stations around the country. Right, and we're we're bringing the film um, to Texas. Uh, we're going to be showing it on Telemundo, uh, our local Spanish language station. One or two. Yes, and we're also going to have live events with the films on the day the film uh, is released. So if you go to caregiversos.org, you can find out more about viewing the film about the live events that are built around the film. Uh, this is for uh, Spanish-speaking uh, caregivers and their families, until we use a different word for caregivers, as Jim was just talking about. Uh, but I think the important thing about it is that there are cultural differences in the way that we do care for our loved ones. Um, I think this comes across in the film, and it's one of the reasons we, we are not, there are differences between all of us in the way that we philosophically approach our family members and I think this is a, a great opportunity to kind of explore that with the Latino community. Does the film have subtitles? It does. I'll answer that. Yes, yeah. it does. <laughs> so Jim, we got about a minute and a half left and before we have to say goodbye to you, uh, how do you support all this? Because you're not packing 10,000 seat arenas with people buying big tickets. You're doing films on aging, which at the moment, it's not a big money maker, is it? No, you're right. It's been a it's been a lifelong struggle uh, for Terra Nova. Um, the path that we chose, and I chose this quite deliberately because I do not like to go out and fundraise. And in the early stage of Terra Nova, I was kind of banging my head against the wall trying to do that. And we had produced a film called My Mother, My Father, which was about four families who were caring for an aging parent. This was in the early mid uh, mid 80s, and that film struck a chord, and we were quite successful at distributing that film. Um, and it dawned on me that if we could do this with our own film, maybe we could do it with films that other people were starting to make oh, about cool. the same issues. So we developed the distribution arm, 
within Terra Nova. And even though we're structured as a not-for-profit, fortunately, in our in our charter statement, we talked about producing and distributing uh, materials uh, for the public good. So Got to stop you all, right there. We're flat yeah. out of time. Is there a website people can go to to get more information? Yes, it's simply uh, org. Hey, thank you. Appreciate you coming on, and congratulations on the work you've done, and I'm glad they sprung you from that uh, Alzheimer's That's unit. That's right. We're glad you got out. Thank you. Pleasure talking to you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Jim Vandenbosch of Terra Nova Films. Fascinating. I know. I, I personally would find it very difficult to live in a dementia unit for longer than, I don't know, 15 minutes. <laughs> that long. That long. I don't know if I could last that long. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. Up next, you got it. Take 10. Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. And I'm Carol Zerniel. You know, Carol, the experts agree exercise is critical to our health and wellness, and that's especially true if you or someone you know is a senior. So in the spirit of doing what's good for us, please join us at the 2015 Run for Seniors, sponsored by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. And our honorary chair this year, Bear County's newly elected District Attorney, Nico LaHood. The race kicks off at 8 a.m. Saturday, May 2nd at the Wheatley Heights Sports Complex. Registration, just $25 per person if registering online through April 30th at wellmetgives.org, $30 on race day. And we have a special deal if you don't like getting up in the morning. You can be a sleepwalker for $25 registration and stay at home while still supporting our seniors. Seniors 60 and over and children 10 and under run or walk for free. All the money raised will support seniors in need. So join us at 8 a.m. Saturday, May 2nd at Wheatley Heights Sports Complex. And for registration information, go to wellmedgives.org. That's wellmedgives.org, and we'll see you at the run. Well, thank you for joining us for Take 10. Take 10 comes to you at the end of each of our regularly scheduled programs. Along with Dr. Jamie Heisman, nationally known expert in addictions and in caregiving, a psychotherapist who spends a lot of his time trying to help people with the very issues we take up often on Take 10. And Carol Zerniel, who is known for her work as a gerontologist, member of the board of the National Council on Aging, and executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. I'm Ron Aaron, Dr. Jamie and Carol your topic for now, ding, 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 ding. Carol, can you explain what a widow-in-waiting is? Well, I recently read um, a, I don't know, a blog, a column, by a woman who described herself as a widow-in-waiting. So she was, care- she was a caregiver for her husband who had a terminal illness, um, and it was a very prolonged terminal illness, and she found herself having to cancel trips because he would have his health would take a turn for the worse, um, not being able to do the things that she wanted in her life, and was really in a very negative place. Uh, she decided that she needed more breaks. She kind of took some action. Um, and she realized after, a, you know, maybe a, several years that she was really a widow in waiting, that she was in this sort of, I would say no man's land, but this interim where she knew her husband was going to pass, and she would bounce back and forth from being a very active caregiver to kind of practicing things that she would be doing once her husband was gone. You know, thinking about where should I downsize? Where am I going to live? You know, am I going to go back to work? And just kind of, and, and, and probably feeling a little guilty at the same time. But so, Jamie, my question to you is is this, a, is this helpful? to, you know, recognize a situation very realistically? Because I think that's, that's probably more realistic than a lot of people are, uh, to be, consider yourself a widow-in-waiting. You know, Carol, it's interesting you say that because caregiving um, kind of hits most all of us. It's something that we probably will never avoid <clears throat> or being a part of somebody who's actually caring for us. So whatever the shoe is on, um, we're going to experience the, the concept of caregiving it is a feeling of guilt that does come over us when we're with somebody who has a terminal illness. Um, sometimes we do confuse a chronic illness also for a perceived terminal illness, meaning that the person will not get better uh, in our minds and our lives are going to always be like this. But there's always this anticipatory feeling that life will never be the same. Now, usually in, in the case of the person you're describing, 
I believe that she's actually doing things better than most because when people are waiting for somebody to pass, caregiving uh, specifically, they actually sometimes cope with the concept of avoidance. They literally don't show up as much. They, they don't subject themselves to it that much. Inside, somehow, subconsciously, they're already, they've detached because they are in the process of detaching. Well, as she described, she was, ang- I think she was angry sometimes with her, the care recipient, with her husband, uh, kind of for putting her in this situation, for always ruining her plans. And she said that once she realized that she needed to start moving on a little bit past this illness, then she was able to go back and look at him as this was the husband who for 30-odd years was the love of my life, gave me a wonderful life, um, and and stopped kind of blaming him uh, when she felt like she had a little bit of control about what her Mm. future was going to be like. But, But that anger, Dr. Jamie, strikes me as being pretty common where the caregiver uh, finally turns and says, you know, I didn't want this, I'm tired of it, get better or die. Well, that is anger, that's no doubt. Thank you, Rob, for, for going with that feeling and showing us what anger is about. Um, definitely, Carol, this is where I really believe that caregiving is a, is a wonderful kind of a piece of uh, experience of awareness. I mean, this situation that you're describing, obviously, is a very, very difficult um, process, and I do believe that caregivers, per se, almost have anticipatory guilt and are allowed to actually do a lot of the grieving process long before others. And in some ways, it, it does allow them to, to kind of transition and ease, ease in some way to where they need to go. However, if you really think about what you're saying, it, she, she got this sense of gratitude. She kind of dealt with the anger of getting grateful. And, and to be frank with you, you know, I can't believe we can possibly blame the experience of caregiving or a loved one passing to, to actually do something about our lives not depending upon somebody else's existence. Meaning, for me, caregiving has always gotten caught up in this world of codependency. And it's a real aha moment for us that we literally have our lives to live, whether the loved one who we're with passes or doesn't. And this has happened to be playing out in vivo in her mind and giving her a reason. But I think long before her husband you know, was passing away, we all have this duty to take care of ourselves and not depend upon others for our existence. Explain codependence in, in greater detail, will you? Well, I will. It's basically, to, for the audience, in a very simple way, it's usually external validation for internal growth. And that's on a spiritual level or psychological level, meaning... In our lives, we've kind of, especially in our childhoods, we had to choose a, a role or play a role in sometimes a chaotic household, an angry household, an alcoholic household, detached, militaristic, you know, abusive household. So we jumped into a role, and you've heard it before, things like mascots, you know, the, the scapegoat, the hero child. And we looked outside for that affirmation of that role. Well, literally, that carries over in adulthood, and we should never be depending upon others to affirm ourselves in our lives, nor should we wait for our loved one to, to die and be angry at them because they're letting us down and now we're alone. We need to become our own selves, get right with our light, get on two feet, get our journey boundaried, and allow that to allow the others to feel safe around us. And, and for this particular woman, it meant that she took a three-day weekend once a month to have time for herself and do some things that she really felt like she needed to do for herself. Um, and she explained to her husband that this was, you know, what she needed to help deal with his illness. Uh, and he Isn't accepted that, cool? that. That's so cool, Carol. That's, that's a, a story, I think, that is really worth repeating everywhere caregivers are served here because I'm, I, I know she got to the aha moment or to the awareness and, gosh, you know, this is my life and, and if I'm just honest with my loved one and taking care of myself in the process, uh, you know, we'll both be able to do this better together. And so it's a great lesson there. But it's also a great lesson for those who are listening who are not necessarily caregivers to start doing this in advance to make sure you have a, a reserve of this self-esteem, of these boundaries, of sense of self, so that when somebody passes around you, you don't collapse into to oblivion. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Take 10. We conclude each of our programs that you're listening to on your friendly local radio station with Take 10. For Dr. Jamie Heisman and Carol Zernial, address an issue of special import, uh, more often than not, to caregivers. And we're talking about 
uh, the caregiver who wrote about uh, being a widow in waiting. And uh, we've seen a lot of that with Alzheimer's patients. Nancy Reagan wrote about and talked about the long goodbye. Well, let's just think about what would be different. So this was a woman who was caring for someone with cancer um, that didn't have the memory loss that someone with Alzheimer's. So, Jamie, you know, is there a difference dealing with somebody with cancer versus that long goodbye of dealing somebody with with somebody that has Alzheimer's disease and really becomes a different person? Just fades away. You know, from a chronic and terminal illness perspective, obviously a doctor would say this is both chronic illnesses and, and, and we should look at them like that. They all kind of match the the criteria for a chronic illness. However, you and I know, Carol, all too well, the issues of the mind, neurological or brain-driven or mental health, are all kind of in this kind of world that you often hear me say gets caught up in this voodoo chicken bones and santeria, as if it's a whole nother approach to life. And therefore, you know, we feel the shame and the stigma a bit more because society has that shame and stigma around them. They can reconcile cancer often in their minds, but when their loved one is obviously losing their memory or having psychiatric episodic outbursts or things are happening that we can't really explain real well because we've kind of avoided this mental health world, it is a bit different in the mind. To me and to you, it's a chronic illness, and and the caregiving experience should be looked at like that. Less than a minute left, Carol, as you think about people in that situation. Do they know they're there? This woman ultimately did know and wrote about it. Do most people? You know, I think that a lot of people, if they're honest, obviously somewhere down inside people know where they are. They know if somebody's going to die, even if they're not willing to acknowledge it to themselves. But it's such a healthy um, realization to, to to say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to make this as best road as I can. This person has cancer. This person has Alzheimer's. You know, this is the, my one life. Um, and this is what I'm dealing with right now. This is the the end of their life. What a what a blessing to to have this realization and to be working together for a gotta good s- outcome. Got to stop you both right there, Dr. Jamie. Thank you, Carol Zernell. Thank you. I'm Ron Aaron. Take ten. We'll do it again. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.